shareholders and people who've been appointed shares would actually be able to attend and participate. Always important to keep in mind the, the continuing corporate obligations. One of them is there's very specific operational issues that we were dealing with in Canada, specifically around the third-party appointment process. Welcome to the Exchange Feed podcast series. This is your host, Tanya Roundtree, Global Head of Client Success at TMX Group. On today's podcast, we're going to be discussing going virtual and asking the question, in Canada, are we virtually there yet? Joining me in conversation today are a few special guests, Jacob Goffman, who is a capital markets partner in the Blake's Toronto office. He regularly advises Canadian public companies on a wide array of capital markets matters, including proxy circular, AGM and other corporate governance matters. So Jacob, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, happy to be here. Excellent. We also have our very own Fraser Monkman, who is VP of Business Development with TSX Trust, and he's been uh, with us for over 10 years of transfer agency and corporate trust work, and he brings a deep understanding of the mechanics and considerations of corporate shareholder meetings, and we're happy that Fraser was able to join us. Thank you, Fraser, for joining. Thanks for including me, Tanya. Happy to be here. And our final and very special guest is Laura Donaldson. Laura is Chief Operations Officer at TSX Trust, and she has overall responsibility for the operational business and relationship matters of the transfer agency business. So, Laura, big thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I, uh, I really can't think of three people who are better suited to help inform our issuers about this new era of virtual shareholder meetings in Canada. So thank you all for, for agreeing to spend time with us today. I know concerns over the coronavirus have prompted many of our issuers to examine whether or not they hold their upcoming shareholder meetings through electronic means. And it's a, it's a format that has actually had a remarkably slow adoption in Canada. So Fraser, I thought we could just begin by um, exploring and explaining to our audience the terms virtual only meeting and a hybrid meeting, since for some that could be new. Um, can you go into the details about, about each? Yeah, so I think, uh, I mean, virtual meeting is seemingly a simple concept, but I think there actually has been a bit of confusion, or at least I've heard a fair bit of confusion in the past weeks on what exactly constitutes a virtual only meeting. Um, a large number of clients I've spoken to seem to take the attitude or were under the impression that simply having a webcast or a conference call at your AGM would essentially allow it to be a virtual meeting because people could attend it virtually or by a means of technology. In actuality, I think the, uh, the core concept of a virtual meeting is really defined by a platform whereby shareholders and people who've been appointed shares would actually be able to attend and participate just in the same manner that they would be at a, at a traditional in-person meeting. Right. And I, I, would, I think it's fair to say that of the two, the hybrid meeting has been the one most utilized in the Canadian market. Would that be right? I'm sorry, and I should have noted that the hybrid meeting really would be just the merger of that traditional meeting setting in which you can attend in person, but the okay. company would also allow for um, shareholders to attend virtually. I think um, we've seen, we've definitely seen an adoption of the hybrid model. I wouldn't, um, 
I don't know, Jacob or Laura, if you're able to comment, I wouldn't say that it's been more widely utilized. Certainly at the, uh, the TMX, we've utilized it the past few years. And mm -hmm. I think we really adopted that hybrid model just to encourage as much access and shareholder engagement as possible because it gives the best of both worlds. But I think that it might actually still be virtual that despite limited adoption rate in Canada in the past three years, there has been, um, there has been more of that than the hybrid. Right. Okay. I know the uh, the general TSX requirement is that an annual meeting be held within six months of fiscal year end. And the requirement for TSXV is that a listed issuer hold an annual meeting no more than 15 months after their last meeting. Uh, during the COVID crisis, there has been some relief provided to companies. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that relief for TSX and TSXV? Lara, you might be best suited on the uh, the relief efforts for TSX or Venture? Um, sure. Uh, so the TSX has provided relief for the annual meetings, um, allowing an issuer to hold it um, up until the end of the year, basically. So December 31, uh, 2020. Uh, and the TSX Venture Exchange has provided similar relief uh, again up until the end of December 31, 2020. And, and, what, and one thing I just like to yeah. have to be helpful for issuers uh, to note is while that's very helpful relief from, from the TSX and TSXV, uh, issuers still uh, consider their obligations under their corporate statute. So just because there's relief from the TSX or TSXV, it doesn't necessarily, uh, or it doesn't um, be, uh, take away from the requirements under corporate law to, to hold a meeting um, during the prescribed timeframe under corporate law. And, and that's an important point for issuers to keep in mind when uh, concerning other relief out there. The CSA, Canadian Securities Administrators, have also issued some uh, relief in respect of the sending of notice of meetings and, want and whatnot. And uh, while it's very helpful uh, at first blush, it's, it's always important to remember that there are continuing obligations under corporate law. And to date, um, uh, the, the various corporate directors have, um, have not issued blanket relief uh, from the various obligations with the exception of um, in, in Ontario uh, yesterday, there, there was a uh, emergency order passed that, that extended the meeting date for OBCA companies. Uh, so, that, so, so that issuers incorporated in the OBCA could take advantage of that. Yeah, it's a really important point. Um, one of the things that comes to mind too is, you know, as, as we navigate this daily and, and things are changing so quickly um, in terms of planning the meeting, Jacob, right? For those who've already sent out their, their mailing materials and, and the, the nuances around, around what they do now, right? With shifting, with shifting some of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, it really depends where an issuer is in, in their time frame of their of their AGM and what 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 is the best approach for them. Several issuers uh, planning to hold May meetings or early June meetings ha have only sent out their notice of meeting and record dates, not their formal formal notice of meeting. They're probably in the clearest path forward and would be able to amend their notice of meeting and, and record date that they that they've uh, already issued just to amend it to provide for a virtual or hybrid option and then as necessary include the appropriate disclosure and the proxy circular that hasn't been filed yet for those issuers that are having um, a meeting in in 
in in the nearer term who have already issued their who have already filed and mailed out their proxy materials uh, and would like to now pivot given the current health crises um, they're they're really presented with with how to get that information to their shareholders um, that they are trying to that they are switching to a virtual or hybrid meeting and the CSA has provided relief to permit issuers to to um, to update their disclosure and their notice of meeting to, to provide for a virtual or hybrid option, press release that information so that shareholders are aware and mail out those notices of meetings. Um, to echo the earlier point, they're still those issuers would still be subject to their corporate law requirements under many of the Canadian corporate statutes. They're still required to mail out that notice of meeting. So again, always important to keep in mind the, the continuing corporate obligations. For those issuers who who uh, have an AGM scheduled in the next couple of weeks, obviously they're in the uh, most difficult situation of how to navigate the, these changing times and um, some are considering adjournments or, or whatnot just, just to make sure their their shareholders and whatnot uh, stay safe during, during, during the uh, COVID-19 outbreak. For sure. So while we're dealing with this crisis, you know, right now, we also want to address some general considerations, right, for years to come in terms of shareholder meetings. Why why do you feel that Canada has been so slow to adopt fully virtual or hybrid? What are some of the main reasons, maybe Fraser and Lara, from your experience at TSX Trust? I think um, from my take on it, it's almost been a bit of a tale of two cities with respect to the virtual meetings in as much as Two months ago, I probably would have argued that selling a virtual meeting was akin to selling sand at the beach, given just the limited traction it has had in Canada over the past few years. Today, on the other (laughs) hand, I think we're probably closer in an analogy of its corporate toilet paper. And that is said in a positive tone of everyone is trying to secure it for themselves right now. And there's just not enough to spare a square. Um, I think the limited uptick and um, the limited uptick prior is probably a combination of a couple factors first and foremost just the lack of familiarity there was around it it was something that was new and introduced i know that uh tsx trust had um helped facilitate the first virtual agm in canada and at that point i truthfully did think it was just going to take off like wildfire i think what i hadn't really seen was that in essentially no one really wanted to reinvent the wheel or probably better yet if it wasn't broken, why fix it? I think a lot of people actually just saw it as a virtual, sorry, an AGM in general is just a formality for them now. There have been so many new ways of communicating with your shareholders that sure. the actual AGM itself just became, this is a formality and similar to what Jacob was saying of it is just a requirement that people just do it in order to reelect their board to do the appointment of auditors and to maybe throw in a stock option plan that they'd reapprove on an annual basis. The reality is, is that this was a system that worked with the traditional in-person meeting. And for a lot of people, they just didn't see the value of shifting that focus over to, okay, let's really make this into a virtual interactive tool. All that said, the current crisis has kind of presented us with an immediate Mm -hmm. reason to move towards virtual AGM. I think that there are certainly, uh, there'll be more familiarity and comfort with it in in the coming months and year. And I think that'll certainly be a driving force towards its adoption in the future, similar to notice and access. We saw a few Mm -hmm. people use it as early adopters. 
And then the rest of them came in the following year once there was just that level of comfort along the street. Um, To that end, like, Laura, you would know better than I, but I think that there would be a lot to be said just on the the proxy advisory firms as well. And there were other voices that would have impacted um, corporate decisions to date. That is true, Fraser, and thank you for your toilet paper analogy. I hadn't considered (laughs) that, but it's very interesting. Um, So I think there's actually a couple of issues as to why we saw the take-up being much slower in Canada than in the U.S., where they've been having virtual and hybrid meetings since 2001. Um, One of them is there's very specific operational issues that we were dealing with in Canada, specifically around the third-party appointment process to make sure that a beneficial holder who wanted to appoint themselves or a registered shareholder who wanted to appoint another third party could attend the virtual meeting and vote and make sure they had the ability to access the meeting. Uh, but those have been worked through in the current service models that are being um, presented in the Canadian market right now. Um, and as Fraser said, the proxy advisors were another issue. So Glass-Lewis, um, their advice in terms of meetings um, was that They would generally recommend an against vote on certain um, members of the board if an issuer held a virtual meeting and there wasn't appropriate disclosure regarding the ability of shareholders to ask questions uh, and communicate with um, management. So I think there's been a lot of perception that an issuer who uses this type of meeting is using it to hide from difficult questions or from certain shareholders that they don't want to necessarily interact with. Um, And I think this is our opportunity to really put in processes and um, good policies that show that this type of meeting can actually work well um, and that it can be done in such a way that the shareholders are still being listened to and still being afforded the opportunity to have their voices heard. And perhaps even in a greater way, right, with uh, access through technology with shareholders being everywhere. Um, and and I have a, one question for you, Laura, to follow up on that then um, with Glass-Lewis and ISS. And, and, you know, is this a catalyst point? And, and what do you think? I know they've, they've given some guidance, but what, what do you think this might do to their, their view of that in the future, not just, you know, sort of post-corona? Um, Well, I mean, they've said with the current situation with COVID-19 that uh, their guidelines are relaxed for this year, so issuers can move forward with this type of meeting without um, being threatened with that kind of an against vote. Um, And they haven't indicated, but I mean, obviously, we're hopeful that if the meetings are used uh, properly and in a way that the shareholders' rights are not infringed upon, uh, that the guidance will be modified and, and, and it will be deemed to be more acceptable. You know, sometimes it takes a while for these kinds of technologies or advances to be accepted, um, whether it was electronic voting um, or electronic communications. There were various different roadblocks as we moved through these types of technologies. So hopefully with this technology, we'll see the same uh, ultimate, ultimate acceptance um, of it uh, in meetings moving forward. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, and speaking of the technological aspects of it, um, and the you know the need for shareholders to be able to ask the questions and and to have that view that those questions aren't cherry picked by the chairman and that there's you know uh, transparency to the process all of those things are super important but what about the technology itself in terms of where we are in Canada and how accessible it is given you know the number of companies that might be interested in shifting now and, and looking even further down the road at using virtual or hybrid. How's our technology for that in Canada? I'm happy to field that one on this end. 
I think with respect to the technology, certainly, again, there have been um, there have been platforms out there for a number of years now, and we really have tried to ensure that those conform themselves to meet the um, the different statutory requirements that um, that Jacob mentioned earlier. But of course, you do have to check that you're even permitted to use it, depending on where you're actually incorporated. For sure. But I think when you look at it, like it really in principle is just breaking that down. So instead of attending in person, you are going to be registered as uh, as an individual who is entitled to vote at the meeting or someone who's been appointed shares at the meeting the moment that you sign in through the platform. And then similarly, as the meeting works through each time a resolution comes before the um before the meeting for a vote, you then are queued on the platform to actually then be casting your ballot for the associated resolution. The technology itself really is just there to mimic the exact same mechanics that um, that a shareholder would be used to at the meeting. And then on the back end of that, you have your transfer agents who are acting as the scrutineers of the meeting, who are then just facilitating it to ensure that the chairman and the corporate secretary of the meeting are being fed the appropriate uh, information in, in the exact same timeline that you would see again in that in-person meeting. Right. And, and I, I know a lot of service providers have been offering uh, live demonstrations of this technology software. And I think it's a great opportunity for issuers and their in-house counsel to, to take a look at the software and see what it can do. It, it helps clarify an earlier point that Fraser made about how these aren't simply um, webcasts, webcasts or audiocasts of right. a traditional in-person AGM. And, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of the business at AGM, many people just sort of take for granted as this is what happens every year. And, and watching a live demo can really help tease apart some of that nuance and and, and think through the issues that... Uh, that you have to think through in advance of your AGM. So just simple things like how does the chair control the meeting? How do you bring forward a motion and, and things of that nature? Um, mm -hmm. Attending one of those live demonstrations can be very helpful just, just to, uh, to work through those issues in advance of hosting a virtual AGM. That's good advice. Um, Jacob, I have a question for you about whether or not a company can be a good candidate for a fully virtual meeting? Are there some companies that are better suited? And if so, why? Yeah, so I think the, the first threshold question is is whether or not a company is authorized to do it under its constating yeah, documents sure. and its and its relevant uh, statute of organi organization. The, the good news for issuers uh, organized under a Canadian corporate statute is the majority of them do permit uh, shareholders' meetings to be held by electronic means uh, subject to meeting certain requirements. Um, it does get into some very technicalities across jurisdictions, but uh, it's helpful. I'm, I'm happy to sort of briefly summarize them at, at a high level. Um, sure. So so for OBCA companies, they, they sort of have the clearest path forward. It's, it's sort of by default, uh, unless your bylaws are uh, or articles state that you can't hold an electronic meeting, you, you're allowed to hold an electronic meeting. And in fact, the emergency order issued by the Ontario government yesterday specified that even if your bylaws indicate you can't uh, for this year, uh, you, you, you can move forward. Uh, for the CBCA, Alberta, uh, ABCA, British Columbia Business Corporations Act, and uh, a few other corporate statutes across Canada, it, it, your bylaws have to expressly authorize uh, 
an electronic meeting and shareholders have to be able to uh, communicate adequately uh, during the course of the meeting to, to satisfy the electronic sure. meeting uh, threshold. So th- those really are the two um the first thresh, the first thresh, threshold question of of whether or not uh, a, a company is a good candidate to hold hold a virtual meeting it, it's whether or not they're authorized to do so under mm-hmm. their their statute and contestating documents um, if you're able to pass that initial threshold question um, I would right. say um, uh, any of those issuers are good candidates to have a virtual only or hybrid meeting uh, subject to various uh, IR proxy and proxy advisory firms. So um, sure. uh, pro- proxy advisory guidance that, that uh, Laura was ta- talking about earlier. Um, uh, we, for a contested meeting, uh, I, I would suggest mm-hmm. that uh, a virtual or hybrid meeting is, is not the best way to go just because just of the nature of uh, a contested meeting versus a more routine AGM. For sure. Thank you for that, Jacob. Um, the company services team here at TMX offers issuers a complimentary education program, and it's called the Growth Accelerator Program. We actually get into a bit of AGM planning and uh, talking about some support, but if an issuer wants some specific support in this kind of an environment, uh, if they're thinking about planning a virtual or hybrid for the first time, who, who should they call uh, for one-on-one advice and support? I would be quick to um to point them in two directions and Mm -hmm. essentially one's a plug for jacob and one's a plug for (laughs) Lars. (laughs) but i do think that um just ensuring that you actually can move ahead and that you are going to be in the corporate confines to proceed that you would definitely want to be consulting with counsel to make sure you check that box and then as a plug on the ta side writ large I would stress that your transfer agent is a great tool when you're just trying to weigh the benefits and explore the costs and just to get an appreciation of what all is going to be entailed with that for walking through those mechanics. Again, both corporate or both counsel and uh, the transfer agent would be there to guide you through different steps for language that would be going in your circular or even just what tools you're going to want to facilitate um, through the voting platform, whether you want a webcast or if it's going to be audio only or if there would be a slide presentation. All of those things, I think, is where you'd be turning to a council and a relationship manager that you have with your TA. Very good advice. <laughs> and I've actually heard other clients of TAs from other firms uh, calling calling our relationship managers. So that's a testament, I think, to the to the type of support that we provide. Um, and always counsel is a good recommendation. So on that note, thank you both. Uh, thank you, Fraser. Thank you, um, Jacob. And thank you, Lara. Thank all of you. Um, I want to uh, really say that we appreciate your insights and your perspectives. And, and I think it helps our listeners and helps our issuers who, um, for many of them, are navigating this issue for the very first time. Although, you know, it might not be the last, right? As we go forward, I think we may see um, an increased adoption uh, in in using hybrid and virtual. So I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank our speakers and stay well. 